0: Chag everybody. Welcome to Spiniverse, the Passover edition. I'm Rabbi Josh Goucher Hillel, Executive Director, He, Him, Pronouns.
1: I'm Leah. I'm Goucher Hillel, Co-President, She, Her, Pronouns. Hi, I'm Ryan.
2: I am Goucher Hillel, Shabbat Committee Co-Chair, She, Her, Pronouns.
0: The part of the deal is basically on Passover, we kind of suspend the normal Torah reading. We don't just read the Parshat Hashavua going through every week, like the Torah in sequence. We actually kind of step out. And there's a couple times we do this during the year, not too many, but it happens this year that the seventh day of Passover, which is also like a Yom Tov, like a holiday, which has a fuller Torah reading, falls on Shabbat. And so we actually read this reading on Shabbat. If If it was a different day of the week, it would be sort of a shorter reading. But we're going to delve into this one because it happens to fall on Shabbat. And we're actually going back. We started our whole journey in Spiniverse on Mishpatim, which is like a lot of the law stuff. And what we missed just before a lot of that, a couple of parsers before, is this whole story of crossing the Red Sea. So that's where we're going today. We're going to the Red Sea, folks. Hopefully we won't get stuck in the Suez Canal like that boat did this week. All right. Attempted at topical humor.
2: In a way, isn't really pass over the story of our own Suez canals, stuck with no place to go and forced to get ourselves out of situations?
0: Absolutely. Um, so we basically pick up the Torah reading with this whole, what happens when the people get to the Red Sea? And I'm sure that for all you guys, because we do have an event coming up this Saturday night, that's a Prince of Egypt viewing that prince of egypt might be in the background of your minds if you grew up with it maybe the images from that maybe you have other images and that'll be interesting for you guys to say like when you think about this we're reading through the biblical text how does it compare how is it different let's jump right into it cool all right who wants to start us out exodus 14 verse 15 cool um
2: Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward and you lift up your rod and hold out your arm over the sea and split it so that the Israelites may march into the sea on dry ground. And I will stiffen the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his warriors, his chariots and his horsemen. Good Lord. Uh, Let the Egyptians know that I am Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who had been going ahead of the Israelite army, now moved and followed behind them. And the pillar of cloud shifted from in front of them and took up a place behind them. And it came between the army of the Egyptians and the army of Israel. Thus, there was the cloud with the darkness and it cast a spell upon the night so that the one could not come near the other all through the night. Then Moses held out his arm over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry ground. The waters were split and the Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians came in pursuit after them into the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. Uh, At the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the Egyptian army from a pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He locks the wheels of their chariots so that they move forward with difficulty. And the Egyptian said, let us fr- flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, hold out your arm over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses held out his arms over the sea and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal state and the Egyptians fled at its approach. But the Lord hurled these, the Egyptians into the sea. The waters turned back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, Pharaoh's entire army that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites had marched through the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus, the Lord delivered Israel that day from the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. And when Israel saw the wondrous power with the Lord had wielded which the Lord had wielded against the Egyptians, the people feared that the Lord, they had faith in the Lord and his servant Moses.
1: God really did not hold back. This is, this is dark. So sort it's of really dark. <laughs> I know, um, a conversation that is often had is kind of like, if everyone was created by God in the image of God, God's still killing all the Egyptians. Um, I know, so, a conversation we talked about at my temple about having with the kids I teach in religious school is kind of talking about how God could be, like, happy about the Israelites being free, but also sad at the same time, or a story, I read this story somewhere, I don't know how accurate it is, but, like, angels celebrating the death of the Egyptians and God telling them not to, because they were still lives, and even though they were chasing the Israelites and they were trying to make them slaves. You don't celebrate the death of anyone, even when it's an oppressor.
0: Yeah. That's what comes to my mind. (laughs) But those are all the stories I've heard too. And they are based on Midrash, like, you know, rabbinic readings of this story, but the story on its surface uh, does not, God does not seem that regretful about this particular act here. In fact, God seems to be like, kind of making it worse. Like, potentially, they could have had the ability to escape, right? There's the hardening of the hearts, the sticking of the the wheels, throwing everybody into a panic, you know, them trying to get away and not being able to do so. Like, it's a different uh, take. And that, so that is, uh, I don't know what you want to say about that, but uncomfortable, maybe?
1: God is a fan of drowning people that, he really that they're is. not a fan of. We have Noah's Ark. We have but you also have sodom and gomorrah yeah i was gonna say also if we think back a few weeks ago i I don't i don't know god has always been very forgiving of people as a whole because you have noah's ark where god's like y'all stink i'm just gonna say peace out and then drowns everyone and then you have when we, a few weeks ago, we were at Mount Sinai and they have the golden calf. is God is like, I'm just going to get rid of everyone. I'm done. And Moses has to talk God out of it. Now here we have God again being like, I'm done with these people. Bye. So I guess as I'm learning more about that, you always kind of hear these things about like God being forgiving. I'm like, I'm mm, <laughs> getting so much of that right now. God's like
2: that child who like he colors once out of the lines and he's like, gotta start over now. The picture is ruined.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, there are different uh even in the Torah, you get different versions of God, right? Like you get you get some of the compassionate God, you know, who forgives, and then you get this is God the warrior. And it kind of shows up actually right after is the song of the sea. Maybe we can read a little bit of that and it, it glorifies that God, right? So this is, uh, if you were list, if you, if you watch Prince of Egypt, there's this part that goes with the, there will be miracles, you know, that they bring in some of the verses of this. And, um, you know, so let's, let's read it. This is actually something that in some synagogues is traditionally said like every morning, as part of like the intro to the morning service. Um, and there's from a, this is a, a, a obscure Torah cantillation kind of little thing that there's a certain way that you say when you're reading the Torah reading, what you just read, Ryan, when it says that the walls were on the right and the left, there's like a part where the Torah reader stops and everybody joins together saying like, and that happens a lot through this particular Reading too. And the way that you're seeing it on this page is not the way that it looks in the Torah. If you've looked in a Torah, this is one of the the places that really stands out because it shows the words of the song on like the left and right side of the page, sort of split and like a little bit something going down the middle. So the the it's like a picture drawing basically that shows like Israel crossing through the Red Sea in the words of the song, which is kind of interesting. So the words of the song itself sort of end up taking a secondary role because, but you'll see they're you know, if you want to be ambivalent, they're not so ambivalent. Go for it, Leah.
1: Okay. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he had hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and might. He has become my deliverance. This is my God, and I will enshrine him, the God of my father, and I will exalt him. The Lord, the warrior, Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the pick of his officers are drowned in the sea of reeds. The deeps covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the foe. In your great triumph, you break your opponents. You send forth your fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood straight like a wall. The deeps froze in the heart of the sea. The foe said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desires shall have its fill of them. I will bear my sword. My hand shall subdue them. You made your wind blow. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the majestic waters. Who, uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Leading um, the mm-hmm. squatter. Who is like you, O Lord, among the celestials? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, working wonders?
0: All right. That last line is pretty familiar. We read it every Friday night. Mi kamocha ba mi kamocha ne Kodish, part of the Miriam song version also that you're probably familiar with Debbie Friedman. So, yeah. So this is what, uh, this is the song of the sea.
1: I guess, well, this is just based on other perspectives I've like been taught about it in, but the Jews are pretty chill with like, Oh yeah, we were slaves for a while and that sucked and you didn't do anything. But I guess I guess now we're free. So it's all good. It's all water under the bridge. We're moving on. And that just like, seems a little weird. I don't know. To me. Um, I think, I don't know. I was just saying how God was not very forgiving of all these people, but these people are all pretty seem just like pretty ready to move on.
0: I think this is supposed to be that culminating moment because up until now, they haven't been so ready. Like they basically right before this, we didn't read as they're like, Moses, why'd you bring us to the sea? Weren't there enough? There weren't enough graves in Egypt. You had to come bring us here. Literally, those are literally the words they say. Um, So, you know, there's some Jewish guilt there. (laughs) It goes from way long ago. But, you know, there is this idea that this is sort of some culminating moment at which the people have been kind of dragged along through this process and now they've seen this and now they believe. Like that last verse that Ryan read too, like the people had faith at this moment. Is this what they needed to see, you know, in order to believe? Can you imagine yourself there, I guess, too? Like, what would that be like um, to see your oppressors drowned, you know, um, at that moment when you've just exited slavery? is there some sense of righteous anger of the tables being turned of, you know, something being fulfilled that finds its expression here? Um, Yeah.
2: I personally find it very contradictory of God to be mad at people for celebrating the death of Egypt that enslaved them for 500 years, especially when God did absolutely nothing for 500 years to free them. Like, I, I don't know what else he kind of expected from them. Like, if I, if my people were enslaved for 500 years, brutally mistreated, children killed without mercy, and then told not to celebrate their deaths when, like, you could have prevented this, you could have saved us sooner... Sounds really, I, I don't like that. It <laughs> makes me very unhappy. I just find it very hypocritical and very contradictory.
0: Yeah, I think the thing is, it's thinking about it also, thinking about this text in historical layers makes a little bit more sense of it. Because when it all is happening at once, yeah, there's going to be contradictions. But the idea of that midrash that Leah brought in, you know, about God saying to the angels, don't celebrate, is that's, written thousands of years, you know, after these texts are first kind of written or shared. Um, and they're written from a different perspective that seems to be a much more compassionate perspective. And kind of, that's kind of like retrojecting that into the past, like taking that attitude and like sort of putting it in the mouth of God or the angels or the Israelites. And so you're right. There's going to be a contradiction because it doesn't square with the moment as it's being portrayed by the Torah.
1: Yeah. They're trying to make God look a bit better. I think. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh, this this is a little rough. (laughs) It's
0: a little spin. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else on the song of the sea before we go to some other songs here or that whole episode, like, you know, you step back from it. Okay. We've had the 10 plagues. We're at the end of the Passover story and this has just happened. And like, Whoa, you know, the, I'll say one of the things that stands out to me is the whole, the, uh, you know, the ten, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, you've seen um, the Prince of Egypt, like God, like Moses puts out his staff and it's like an immediate water split people go through. Right. Yeah. Whereas this is describing a different process that has somewhat of a more natural idea that these winds blew all night long and sort of created some kind of channel but still with walls of water on both sides. It was just an interesting concept. Like, how did that happen, right? Um, like, is there a sandbar that got elevated or something like that? And then, you know, where where are the people? Like, some of it for me is like trying to figure out who's where, you know? Are the people crossing through and the waters are already going and they're rushing through or they're already through and the Egyptians are behind? What's going on here? You know, like, I think there's an there's an effort to show this um, epic scene in a way but it's feels a little disjointed you know
2: yeah it it feels like it's hard to describe but it's sort of like they can't come up with what story would sound better like say more about that so I've been kind of like thinking a lot about this and this goes to more like my personal beliefs of like god and how we view god and how we kind of view him as we view humans um but it's all it just kind of sounds like like we talked about they needed something to be amazing to kind of make up for god being so like for example you like you hear like you know, in, like, movies or stories, like, there'll be the character who doesn't, like, have their father, like, there at all. And then the father, like, randomly shows up with, like, big, expensive presents and then, like, ducks out again. Kind of the same vibes. Like.
1: I, I see that.
2: Like, hey, wasn't around for 500 years, but I'm going to get you out of this. I'm going to split the scene, this really grand gesture. And then I'm going to tell you that you suck for celebrating the death of the people who killed you and hurt you and depressed you. Yeah. Bye.
1: This kind of brings in my own like personal, I guess, like philosophy of life. I just kind of, some people they're like, they talk and they're like, everything happens for a reason. And I just like, God isn't up there playing some giant, like game of the Sims with all of us. Sometimes I just, it kind of people, should be able to be mad about things that are happening to them and be like, what is going on? Kind of like you were saying, Ryan, it's like someone steps away and you're like, what, where'd you go? Why is all this bad stuff happening? Um, without having to think that like, Oh, it's, it's for the good in the end. But it's like, sometimes it kind of does feel like God or whatever, kind of like steps out for a bit and just comes in for like a grand gesture or even smaller things obviously but kind of like in this example it is kind of like that grand gesture and makes it seem like everything's good and then after that like god does have much more of a presence in the israelites lives moving forward from this obviously but it's just like you're like wh- where were you before this like what were you up to if it's the chosen people who else were you with <laughs> like
2: Yeah, it's, like, God comes in, like, expecting this grand, like, welcome home after being gone for, like, centuries with no explanation and no, like, communication. And he's, like, I'm home and expects everybody to be cool with it. Like, I don't know. It just, Like, makes me a little uncomfy. Like, I think it's unrealistic.
0: Yeah. The expectation that it would all sort of work out easily and maybe explain some of the problems that you have for 40 years in the desert, you know, afterwards. Re-establishing a relationship when abandonment has happened is a really a monumental task. And it doesn't always go, you know. Even go well. Forget go well. It doesn't always go. You know so you have a point you have a good point um i it's interesting because i'm thinking about it from the perspective of the people and the people who are trying to tell a story about an experience that they had that they're trying to make sense of um and the experience is one of being outsiders being oppressed and then somehow, some way, finding home um, and trying to like make something out of themselves when ultimately they've been kind of um, kicked to the curb. They they are not like, you know, they we you know they are they, they call themselves the chosen people. We call themselves the chosen people, but we did you know we have this whole history of not being there in our land, you know, both in biblical times of Abraham and his generation leaving. And then, you know, in historical times after the destruction of the temple and all of that, and yet we still have a connection to this land. So it's a, it's a tricky story to tell.
2: I think I would connect more to that story. If God wasn't the savior, like I would have connected so much more with it. If it was like, the people saved themselves and not God saving them. Because, mm. just, like, I get that this was probably created to, like, sow faith in God or whatever among the people. But, like, I think it's really unrealistic for people to have faith and have strong faith in something that they can't see. They can't really prove is real. And as far as they know, was really sh- to them. So... I I think, like, I think if we want to celebrate that people are finding a home and, like, they've, like, you know, fought their oppressors off, I think God needs to, like, not be there for that because in the grand scheme of things, he came in at the last minute and stole the thunder.
1: It's like if you come to a Shabbat service where we do Shafianu moments, we actively say, don't say something like, getting a good grade. This is obviously not a comparable event at my temple. They always say like, don't say a college acceptance. They're like, those are things you did. Don't downplay your achievements. Like you do things for yourself.
0: I guess a lot of it probably also goes to theology and what you think about God. You know, it's like that probably to me, I, you know, there's a part of me that, and that's always evolving. It's always evolving and changing in terms of my sense of what I think of God as, um, but I don't tend to think of God as like active in history in the way that these stories tend to portray God. Um, I think as, of God as kind of like acting through people and through like our best intentions and, um, you know, goodness of nature. And not that I would say that anybody else has to have that theology or that's an answer. But in some ways, I guess for me, um, I see the people having an attempt to create an image of God that works for them. And while that, that image of God that worked for them a long time ago, maybe very obviously will not work for us right now, you know, and yet we're, we still have this, like this text as a heritage and, you know, we talk about it and we think about how we would either reinterpret it, reconstruct it, or deal with it some other way.
2: Yeah. We talked about it a little bit, but I think it's really hard to apply biblical morals and biblical things to modern day situations and I think it's really important to study our history and to study our past and to study these texts as to how they like related they relate to our history and our ancestry but I also think that if like this way of connecting with God and this way of like portraying God just doesn't work in a modern setting
0: and you know what? And that's part of why, like, Torah reading is mostly usually done in the original, because it's something we do ceremonially. And so some of these texts, yes, we do interpret, we read them, but some of them, it's like, we just connect with them through hearing them. Um, another thing I would just, this is bringing up for me is, I don't know, I've never brought it up before, but um, A.J. Jacobs wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically, which I definitely recommend if you want to, you know, just dealing with what you're saying, Ryan, like... <laughs> He tries to like observe a lot of things exactly as they were in the Bible in like modern times, and um, it, it's funny, you know. Like, there's there's a lot of funny things where it just like it doesn't work, you know. We have uh, to go
1: find a bunch of dolphins.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think the one that I'm remembering right now is where it says something about you shall stone an adulterer, and I don't know. He's standing in Central Park, and he just assumes that certain people might be, and then he throws like pebbles at people. And- <laughs> There's some of it that's just really funny um, and some of it, you know, that he's trying to make sense of how people utilize the Bible now. Um, all right. Well, that was a lot. Um, I'm going to maybe skip this next text, which is from Samuel and maybe come to a concluding text. So I'm, I'm skipping the half Torah one, um, which is similar in some ways to the, the song of the sea but it's David's personal salvation of God. So if you want to check out the Haftorah, feel free to look at that. It's in 2 Samuel. So we're looking at a totally different form of biblical poetry right here. So when I say Megillah, what do you usually think?
1: There's one for Passover. But there's also other ones for other holidays. Yes. I learned this when I taught it to my third graders.
0: There you go. So you might think of, Megillah Esther, which is we read on Purim, like that's the Megillah, right? Well, there's actually five Megillas. Megillah really means a scroll, usually a scroll that's a one-handed scroll. So either it's not on a, like the thing, the staves that the Torah is on, or it's on like one side and that's how they were stored, you know, back in, back in those days. So the five Megillas that we have correspond to five holidays, usually pilgrimage type holidays that we have Um, Purim, Esther, um, Kohelet, which is, which is, uh, Ecclesiastes. That's one we read on Sukkot. Um, then we've got Echa or Lamentations, which we read on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, Ruth, which we read on Shavuot. And then Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, which is love poetry, supposedly written by Solomon. And we read it in the springtime at the rebirth of the world on Passover not widely known so um we're gonna jump a little bit into song of songs a totally different kind of biblical poetry and would love your take there's not any god in this one guys so kind of move on to a different conversation but uh thinking about like our people's history how this is a part of it too okay anybody want to jump in and read song of songs chapter two
1: i will I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the maidens, like an apple tree among trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the youths. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my mouth. He brought me to the banquet room, and his banner of love was over me. Sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love his left hand was under my head his right arm embraced me i adjure you o maidens of jerusalem by gazels or by hinds of the field do not wake or rouse love until it please hark my beloved there he comes leaping over mountains bounding over hills my beloved is like a gazelle or like a young stag there he stands behind our wall gazing through the window peering through the lattice my beloved spoke thus to me Arise, my darling, my fair one, come away. For now the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, the blossoms have appeared in the land, the time of pruning has come, the song of the turtle dove is heard in our land.
0: Thanks. Those last verses are part of why we actually read this right now. Okay. What do you think about it?
2: This is so weird. <laughs> if somebody read this to me, I would I, I would cease contact.
1: you should should like open a dating app and just send this whole thing to someone I
2: honestly will I will take a video and post it to the Goucher Hillel story of me sending this to a Jewish boy I will do
1: it I wonder if they'll recognize it
2: maybe Um, this is I don't like how this reads like it's pretty there are parts of it that are pretty but this just reads like she's being stalked (laughs)
0: Well, it's interesting because it's actually mutual. The, the, voice in this, the voice in it changes from the male to the female voice. And, you know, it is sort of, I guess, heteronormative, and say as many texts in the Torah, Tanakh are. But um, it sort of leaves a little bit more room for ambivalency around that, actually. Um, and it's, you know, so there's sort of a story loosely being told, but it's not clear that it's like a narrative and what's happening at each point. Um, but a lot of it is like this. So there was, there was argument among the rabbis, this whole question of like, which books would make it into the Tanakh and which wouldn't, you know, which ones got, got on the cutting floor. Cause there were other books that didn't make it in. Um, and there was a like wide agreement though, that people thought that maybe this didn't belong in there. No, this became actually the Holy of Holies. You know, like this was something that was there forever. Um, so Yeah.
1: I found it strange, I guess, that it's considered this holy text when it's just kind of, like, two people talking about how much they love each other. I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, not not reading into it enough, but I'm, like, like yeah, they talk about the beauty of spring, but mostly it's just kind of, like, this, like, love between these two people, and it's a little creepy. But um, get
2: Romeo and Juliet
1: vibe. Yeah, but it's, like, I don't really see how it – fits into being like a holy text. Cause it really doesn't reference like, like obviously there are holy texts that don't really explicitly talk about God, like in the story of Purim a lot of the time, but that's still like is around Judaism and the Jewish people. And this one is just kind of.
0: So here's a question about that. Is it really, so many traditional commentators say, yeah, it looks like it's about two human lovers, but this is really about the love relationship between Israel and God.
2: Saw so that one coming from a mile away.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? Hold it.
2: Saw that coming.
0: But others would say, yeah, that's kind of a cover to let it be in, but really like, no, we really just want to have some love poetry as part of our holy scripture, you know? Like... Um, I wouldn't call it our Kama Sutra, but, you know, it definitely has, you know, certain elements of it that are close to erotic in some ways. Um, And, you know, is that okay? Is that good? How do we feel about that? I don't know.
1: I feel like it's, it's like a bit of a stretch. I feel like it's when your English teacher is like, Now, when the person, the writer's just like, and the, what do they really mean by that? And they're trying to get you to get some like wild meaning out of this text that's like really straightforward. Or if people like read hugely into this meaning of a song about being some like really deep thing and then they ask the writer and they're like, yeah, it was about rain or like something like that. Just like way overrated into something with trying to make that connection. I don't know. People can obviously view it in whatever way is most meaningful to them. That's like what religion is, in my opinion. Um, But like, I don't know, doesn't kind of like stand out to me as deeply spiritual, I guess. (laughs)
0: yeah I think there's something I guess for me I think there's something meaningful about um a holy text that talks about a loving relationship and that talks about the give and take and mutuality and desire and that like that sort of that normalizes that in a way um, because I guess I want to think about Judaism as like love positive sex positive you know positive about relationships in general um and um i think this text gives a certain amount of like i don't know exploring of another aspect of the human condition that's a part of it and it's not all you know temples and sacrifices and rituals in terms of what life is about um okay i'm
2: not a huge fan of poetry in general so this does not connect like
1: Poetry does not connect for me. Well, I don't like poetry,
0: so. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we've checked out some definitely some interesting things, stepped out of our normal rhythm, and I think there's been some interesting stuff this week. And we'll get kind of back to our regular rhythm with Leviticus next week, and we will do some, some kosher stuff. So stick with us then. Have a happy rest of your Passover holiday, everybody and we'll see you next week.
2: Be on the lookout for when I send the Song of Songs to a nice Jewish boy on a dating app.
0: I'll post the story. Then it will find its utility. So exciting! poetry at the end. Spinaverse is a production of Goucher Hillel. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.